Listen, we are in the Rooted series. Uh, we're on week two, or week, the second week of sacrificial generosity. And listen, I love this series, and I'm so thankful that we're going through it. Because what we're doing is we're walking through the seven rhythms that are important for every believer as they're growing in Christ, being rooted in him. This is the stuff that grows us up. But here's how this works. We're doing the 30,000-foot flyby, just so you know. Because some of you might be thinking like, oh, sweet, I don't have to go do rooted now. That's not true. That's not how this works. Because it's like me saying to my wife, hey, listen, I went by the gym four times this week. Did I drive by it or did I stop in? You know what I mean? There's a difference. Driving by the gym doesn't work. Some of you thought it did. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But here's the deal. For if you want the rooted experience, you got to get in a discipleship group where you work it into the rhythms of your life. This is just to give you a taste of what rooted is like. And we are on, again, sacrificial generosity, all right? Now, that isn't actually an interesting phrase for me, sacrificial generosity. I think it's interesting because um, the idea of being generous and it being a sacrifice is somewhat of a paradox to me. And here's what I mean by that. The reason I think is a paradox is because is it really a sacrifice to give up something small when the return is much greater? Is it actually a sacrifice to give something up if you know the outcome and the impact is much greater than the act itself? You see, for me, generosity sounds more like an investment. I'll give you an example, and we're not going to talk about money for this illustration just to give you a breather. How about that? Um, you know, so say, say one day, I've had a long day at work. It's been like meeting after meeting after meeting, and it's been one of those things where I'm just like, my to-do list is getting longer and never getting smaller. Have you guys had one of those days? Like my inbox, email inbox is like it keeps growing and it never disappears. I don't know what's happening. So it's one of those days where you drive away at the end of the day and you're like, well, I didn't win today. You know what I mean? I don't know if you guys have had those kind of days. So say it's that kind of day. And then I pull into my driveway on the way home. And for me, in the driveway, I have to take some deep breaths. Here's why. Because I know the second I walk into my house, it's game on. You know what I mean? Four kids at home, mom's been with kids all day. It's kind of like the party has started. So as soon as I walk in my door, I just know, all right, game on, let's do this thing. It's gonna be crazy, but I can't wait. So it's just like... All right, let's go for this. And so say I walk into the house, the party starts, and I look over as I'm walking by the kitchen, and I see a sink full of dishes. Do you know the last thing that I want to do in this moment? Dishes. It's the last thing I'm thinking about, right? And if you're married, you know how to play this game, or if you got roommates, you know how to play this game where it's like, oh, I didn't see anything, right? Some of you that have college roommates, you're like, this is what we fight about. We don't fight about anything else. We fight about dishes in the sink. So say, but here, here, say for a moment though, I harness this amazing, thoughtful husband. Say in this moment, I become that guy. And, and then I, because I'm reflecting, because I'm not selfish, I'm reflecting on my wife and I'm like, man, she's been with my kids all day. They've been working hard all day. She's been fighting battles that I don't even want to touch. She's been doing all kinds of stuff all day. The last thing she wants to do is the dishes. And so let me, this humble, servant-hearted, godly husband make a sacrifice and clean the kitchen. So let me, let me just say this. I guarantee you if I did that, and I'm sure I have at one point in my life, but I guarantee you if I did that, it would change my wife's day. She would be a different person 
right? She would, all of a sudden, because that one thing is no longer there, that's one less thing to worry about, that's one less, it would change her. So here's my question. If that small sacrifice leads to a happy wife, doesn't that sound a little bit more like an investment in my marriage rather than a sacrifice? See, that's what's behind the words when Paul in chapter 20 of Acts In verse 35, he's wrapping things up in Ephesus and he's talking to some of the leaders in Ephesus and he's saying things like, hey, listen, I gotta go. I've gotta go be a part of these things. And so these final words to the leaders in the church in Ephesus and he says, and he quotes Jesus and he says, remember what Jesus said. Remember that Jesus said it's more blessed for us to give than it is to receive. It's more of a blessing for us if we give than it is to receive. You see, for the rest of our time, here's what I want to do. I want to convince you to want to be generous. That's what I want to happen because for me, generosity is not a sacrifice. It is an investment. And to go a little bit further, living a generous life is the pathway and practice to get what you really want. Because ultimately, being generous is not about what you lose. It's about what you gain. You see, the word blessed, when Paul is quoting Jesus, who said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, the word blessed literally means to be happy. So here's my question. What do you really want? What is it that you're actually looking for in life? Do you want your life to be filled with joy, significance? Do you want your life to count? Do you want to like, make a difference in our world? Do you want it to like, leave a mark on our city? Like, is that what you're looking for? Because I think, and I'm convinced of this, generosity is a big part of that. Living a generous life is a huge part of that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians 9. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and start turning there. Um, If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll we'll kind of show some of the passages up here. Um, But I do want to say this about before we get into any of this. When we talk about Scripture, here's what I'm just convicted of recently. You know, in our world, there are a lot of voices and a lot of voices that say they are true. That means that there are a lot of voices that are not true, and there is one voice that is true. And here's, as a believer, let me tell you how this works for me. The Word is what I stand on. This is where we feel secure in truth. And so I want to encourage you, bring your Bible with you. Engage this thing, not just on Wednesday or Sunday, but engage it through the week because the word is literally the guide for us in a culture where there are a lot of voices and a lot of noise. And many of us are going like, what in the world do I do about these things? Let the word be a guide for you. So it is important to bring it with you. Engage with it. Let this thing be a part of your life. But we're going to go into 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 9. So Paul, Paul was the most well-known church planter in the first century. And he's writing these letters and he wrote three different letters to the church in Corinth. We only have two of them, but we see that this is how things worked. And so he would write a letter to them because, hey, I heard this is happening. Is that for real? And then they would write back and be like, oh man, that guy's gone. Don't worry about him anymore. And he's like, okay, okay. And so they would just, this is how they would handle a lot of church issues if Paul was not in the room, so to speak. And so they would send these letters back and forth and and he's kind of gotten mixed up things and he said some things that kind of offended them. And so he's apologizing, but so they tackle a lot of different things. But here's what happens. In Paul's missionary journeys, and specifically in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, one of Paul's objectives is to raise funds for the church in Jerusalem. Because there was a famine that happened in Jerusalem. That means the poor in Jerusalem are struggling like crazy, which means the church is on its game. But the church is suffering too. 
And so Paul, in his missionary journeys, one of the main goals of his travels is to go to all these different churches and say, no, 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 the church of Jesus is one church. And so when Jerusalem is hurting, we are hurting. And so he's raising funds to help support the needs in Jerusalem. And so that being the case, he's kind of having this conversation. And as he's writing these letters, he realizes the Corinthian church doesn't get generosity. They don't understand a kingdom mindset about giving. I think part of that is because the church in Corinth was pretty wealthy. And they were like, oh, but I like holding on to my stuff. I don't, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. And so Paul kind of goes into this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he's talking about like, no, let me help you understand generosity in a new way. He's trying to help them see like, hey, listen, generosity is not actually a sacrifice in the kingdom. This is an investment for us. And we need to see it differently. And so we're going to pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Here's what he says. Remember this. And again, please read all this in context, right? There's a lot going on in this story, but he gets to this point where he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, they reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously also reaps generously. So he starts with this farming illustration because everybody would understand what's going on because he's saying, look, this isn't foreign to us. Generosity as an investment isn't foreign to our reality. We see this in farming all the time. He says things like, you get, you get what you want. Um, you, I'm sorry. To get what you want, you have to give up what you want. As a farmer, if I want more seeds, I have to let go of seeds to get more seeds in, in when I reap them. That's how this works. So he says, hey, to get what you want, you have to let go of what you want. This is how it works. That's why generosity feels different. It feels like this is a hard thing. It feels like a sacrifice. Because wait, you're saying to get what I want, I have to give up what I want? It feels like a sacrifice, but when you see things through the kingdom, you realize this is way more of an investment. Verse seven, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Remember, there's a famine going on. Paul's raising these funds to support the church in Jerusalem. So he says, listen, listen. You pray through this. Each of you should decide. What you, uh, give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not with compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because generosity is tied to the heart. This is a hard one to fake. This is a hard one to get into. So Paul is saying, listen, if you're giving out of reluctance or you're giving out of a sense of shame, well, it's like, well, look what she did. I gotta go do that now. It's, like if you're doing that, then you don't get it. You're not seeing things correctly. There's something about who God is and how he runs the world that we don't understand yet. But don't worry, he's gonna explain some of that. But an indicator though, an indicator that we have a kingdom perspective about generosity is that when we give, we get all excited. It comes from a place of joy. It comes from a place of gladness and delight because this is possible because of what Paul says next. In verse eight, he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Don't miss what he's saying. God gives you what to give away. God's the source. He's the one who put it in your hands. He's the one who provides everything that you need. The, the, the stress of where is this coming from is on him, not you. He's the source of this. So he gives you what to give away. And God delights in providing what we need to provide for the needs of his world. 
He loves seeing his kids take what we, he puts in our hands and bless the world with it. He loves seeing us act like him. And listen, if God can give cheerfully, the result of following close after him is that we become cheerful givers as well. I remember... Um, Seeing this on my friend's Instagram, Chance and Amy, they did this thing. I think they do it almost every year where around Christmas time, they will go bless a waiter or a waitress. I think many of you have done this where you go like, man, these, these people are working like extra hours. They're busting it. They should be at home with family, but they can't be at home with family and they're in a tough spot. And so you will go out to eat and then go, I'm going to bless them a little bit extra. You know what I mean? So they did this. And, and what's kind of cool is they invited friends to like, hey, we're going to do this. Who's in? And so they were able to go and they went to this restaurant and they actually captured part of this. And they, they just kind of went up and said, hey, we've been praying about this. And listen, my family and I, we, we wanted to just bless you because we know this is a hard time. And then started handing her stuff. And she's just like, broken and like, are you kidding me? So it was amazing to see how the one who received it experienced it. But you know what was better? seeing how that family responded. Like the family became cheerful givers and they get it because they understand it actually is more blessed to give than receive. Like our kids are getting it, they're seeing it, they're experiencing it. And so Paul goes on in this idea a little bit more that God gives you what to give away. In verse nine, Paul quotes a proverb. He says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Hang in there because we're gonna read a little bit more. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, who is that? God. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen, when God's blessing and favor is on you, it's not just money. There's way more that comes when you're in relationship with him. It's way bigger than just financial stuff. It's way big. It is life under the favor of God kind of blessing. That's why this is so important. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Listen, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is where things get kind of exciting for me, all right? Because what we're about to see is how God's math works. Many of you have kind of heard common core math, right? And you're like, I don't even know. What is that? Okay, I don't know still to this day. But we're about to see God's math, and it's still going to blow your mind. Look at this, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, those in Jerusalem who are suffering, but is also overflowing in many experiences of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And he wraps up like this. He says, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. What is the grace he's given to you? The ability to be generous. See, here's how God's math works. He gives you one thing, and then he does three things with it. So he gives you one thing, and you could take that one thing and hold it like this and stop the move and blessing of God. Or... He can put one thing in your hands and you can be generous. And when you choose to be generous with what he has given you, it does three things. One, the receiver of the gift is blessed, right? The giver of the gift is blessed and God is glorified. 
Because here's the reality. The impact of generosity is always greater than the act of generosity. It takes on a life of its own. It's bigger than what we thought it was going to be. That's why this is an adventure to it. That's why this is part of what it means to live and love like Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to assume every one of us listening is fully convinced that living a generous life is what's best for you. All right? You may disagree with me at this point. That's okay. I'm assuming you don't because I'm an optimist. All right? And so I'm just going to assume you're with me. And you're like, I get it. I finally get it. Generosity is what's best for me. It is the pathway and the practice that leads to life of joy and significance. So what do we need to do to start living a generous life? Because if you're like me, when it actually comes down to money, I'm not that good. I actually have a lot of problems when it comes to money. I'm not super savvy with it. I'm a pretty simple guy, to be honest. And so when it actually comes to money, I really do struggle. So here's what I did. I actually interviewed some of the wisest people I know, and they're going to have some advice for us about wise ways to use your money. So here, I want you to watch this. Okay, so here, just going to ask you some questions, and then you just tell me what you think, okay? If you had to pick which plate you want, which plate would you pick? Which plate would you rather have, <laughs> That plate right this there? One. <laughs> this one. <laughs> <laughs> what if I said you could have one this second? You could eat it right now. Or you could wait 10 minutes and you could get that entire plate. Which one would you choose? 10 minutes. That one. That one. This one. <laughs> wait, would you really wait 10 minutes? What if it was an hour? An hour is pretty long. An hour is pretty long. Then You'd, this one. Why would you eat it right now? Because it's yummy. <laughs> and I don't want to wait an hour. We're just simply doing 10 jumping jacks. The first one to do 10 jumping jacks wins. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. <laughs> go, 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 he's gonna beat you. <laughs> Hurry, she's gonna win. <laughs> okay, we need to have homeschool PE class. Okay. There you go. So, hey, listen, after I asked these questions, I realized two things. One, half my kids don't even know what a jumping jack is. Um, so that was interesting. Homeschool PE teacher is failing right now. Um, but here's the other thing. The point is not that we need more wisdom with finances. I think we just need more discipline. It's not a matter of wisdom, right? Let me, I mean, just to give you, with the marshmallows, right? We all understand that if I say no to a little thing now, and it means I get a whole bowl later, that's a better choice. We get that, right? We understand that's how things work. We all know that if I don't have money to buy something, okay, hold on, wait. This is a pretty big assumption. But if I don't have money to buy something, can I buy that thing? 
two of you have a budget and one is a child. Thank you. Okay, listen, listen. This, if you don't have the money, you can't buy the thing. Yeah, y'all are struggling. Okay, okay, if you make it a habit to buy something that you don't have money for, all of us have to know it's going to feel like the weight of debt is crushing you and holding you back from doing the very things you want to do. Think of the irony of this. In pursuing what you want, it's keeping you from what you really are wanting. Listen, it's not a matter of having wisdom. It's a matter of having discipline. And as a mentor of mine says, discipline is way more fun than debt. And so to end up with a big pile of marshmallows or to live life without the weight of crushing debt, let me just give you four questions to think through. All right, and at this point, you, you have to process these questions. It's not like I'm gonna say something and magically your stuff's gonna be sorted out. This is a matter of discipline. It's a matter of rhythms that you establish in your life. You have to process these questions. Here are the four questions. First off, who do you want to become? Let's just start here, right? Who do you want to become? Do you actually want to become a generous person? Do you actually want this? Because here, so here's one way to think about it. Say you're now a grandparent. Some of you are grandparents, so you're in this, all right? So I, I, I get that. I'm on, you know, scary territory here. But say you're a grandparent, and your grandkids are sitting around, you know, at CCS one night, and they're, and they're friends, and they're talking about, hey, tell me about your grandparent. That's one of the questions in their discipleship group. And so they start talking about you. What do you hope they say? Do you hope they say things like, man, my grandmother is the meanest stingiest man she her mouth I mean she is hateful is that is is that what you want is that how you want your grandkids to remember you or like things like man my grandfather was so kind he was bigger than life itself he was fun and he was generous and let me just be this is make it real for a second for me I think one of the reasons I have such a high view of grace, and all that means is I just think grace is amazing. I think it's a really big deal. And I think part of the reason I have a high view of it is because I saw my grandparents unhindered in generosity. When I think of my grandparents, I almost think of like a wonderland experience because they were unhindered in generosity. How, who they became shaped who I became. I want everybody to feel that one real quick. Who they became shaped who I became. So the question again is, who do you want to become? Here's the second question. Where are you right now? Like, where are you currently? You know, if you, were, if you want to be free, to be generous uh, whenever you see a need or whenever you want to do something special, but you're carrying a certain amount of debt that is suffocating you right now, heads up, that's where you are. That's where you start. Right? If you're a student who's about to go to college and you don't have a bunch of student loans yet, listen, that's where you are. And, and there are things that you can do to live differently. Or maybe your kids graduated college and now you have more money and more time than ever. That's where you are. Thank you, Jesus. I am not there. I'm like 18 years away from being close. Okay. Um, 
Because here's the deal. Where are you? That's a question you got to think through. And then is there anything keeping you from becoming who you want to become? Which leads us to the third question. What needs to change? If there's something you're doing right now that is keeping you from becoming the person you want to become, what needs to change? This is where things get a little bit real, by the way. This is where we have to start going like, oh, man, I think I'm addicted to Amazon. Like I sit there at 1030 at night and I can't stop my finger from ordering things. And I'm, right? No one, no one struggles with Amazon? Okay. This is where you go like, oh, man, we got we to sort through things. Here, here's what I want you to hear. The good news is that regardless of where you are, whether you're a high school student, whether you're a family with young kids carrying suffocating debt, whether you're a grandparent on a fixed income, here's the reality. Just by having a plan, you can gain control of something that feels out of control. Just by writing down a plan, you begin to feel like you have control of something that feels out of control. You might have crushing debt, but when you write the plan down, all of a sudden you feel like you have a vision of what could be. And what comes with that is whew, a sense of relief. What comes with that is peace. And so let's, let's keep this simple. The goal of this plan is to live within our means. Okay, again, I tell you, I'm not the wisest person here. I, I'm, I'm simply the guy who's simple and just going like, hey, this is what we do, all right? But the, the goal for us is live within our means, because if you don't live within your means, guess what's coming? Suffocating debt. Every dream you have will be suffocated. But if you make a decision to discipline yourself to live within your means, it changes your future. So let me give you three ideas about what needs to be a part of your plan. Here's the first thing. Budget according to your priorities. Budget according to your priorities. And for us in our house, let me just tell you how it works for us. Giving is budgeted first. You have to budget first. When you put the big important things in first, it's amazing how everything else fits into your budget. But when you try to fit all the big important priorities in last, it's amazing how it never makes the cut. And so budget according to your priorities. Last week, Cam gave us this card. He said, hey, I want you to do some things. Over 60 families said, I'm in on the 90-day tithing challenge. Some of you, I want to say, hey, side note, that's amazing news. Some of you are going, oh, man, I missed the boat. You didn't. You still get a chance to say, you know what? I want to be in on this. I want to, you know, and for you, if you didn't do this last week, just check off the thing that matters to you. Check off the thing you want to do. And if you haven't been tithing before and you're like, I don't get this. I don't know how this works. Can, can somebody help me walk in this? You can check this off there. If you look on the QR code on the seat in front of you, there's even, it'll take you to a link where you can sign up and say, hey, I'm committing to the 90-day tithing challenge, and Cam's going to be praying for you for the next 90 days, and then we're going to hear from you in the next 90 days because we want to see how God shows up. So if you're ready to take this seriously, if you're ready to take generosity seriously, this is an opportunity for you. So you have to budget according to your priorities. Here's the second thing. Aggressively pay off debt aggressively deal with your debt. The faster you deal with your debt, the more free you become to do the things that matter. Again, please get this. You, we chase after the things we want, and then it keeps us from getting the thing that we want. We're missing it. And so again, listen, aggressively pay off debt, and then make a commitment. We're going to stay here. We're going to pay cash for things. Did you know? Did you know 
I see student, did you know you can graduate from college with no student loans? Did you know that's possible? My wife did it. I did not. Um, But then we worked hard and dealt with that. Um, But Lindsay, she busted it. She was amazing. She's like, I'm graduating with no debt. It's possible. Did you know you could actually buy your next car with cash? That's, some of you are like, that's not even allowed. No, it is allowed. And it's possible, okay? That, that's how life works. You know, it's one of the, so aggressively pay off debt because it opens up doors for you. Here's the last thing. Save for significance. Save for significance. Here's what I mean by that. Listen, life happens. Life is hard. 2020 was hard. There were significant things that happened that those of us who've been saving for significance were prepared for. Those of us who weren't were rocked. In a really hard way. Medical things show up. That's significant. Special events show up, right? Like some of you, your kids are getting married. Save for significance. Make that something special. Some of you love supporting students when they go on their first mission trip, where they finally see that God's vision for our world is bigger than what they could imagine, and they come alive, and you get to be the person that supports them and sends them, but not if you're carrying debt, not if you haven't been saving for something significant. These things can suffocate the dreams that we have to participate in God's kingdom. We can deal with this, though. It's not a losing battle. We can win this one. So those are the first three questions. Here's the last question. Who can help you grow? Who can help you grow? You know, for, for as long as I can remember, I've had people pour into my life and speak things like, it's always wise to seek after wise counselors in areas that I'm wanting to grow. If I'm starting a new business, connect with business leaders who've been in the game a long time. If I'm wanting to parent well, right? If I'm wanting to figure out how to raise kids in today, I look at parents and families who are doing it right and I go, hey, how did you deal with this? How did you walk through this? I surround myself with wise counselors in the area that I want to grow. This is the same. How do I deal with money? How do I sort through my junk? How do I deal with the debt stuff? Surround yourself with people who are doing it right. And I just want to say this real quick. If you haven't gone through Financial Peace University, it is so helpful. I hate how often we talk about it because it sounds like we're a commercial for this thing. But the reality is, like we said, man, plan a budget according to your priorities. Aggressively deal with debt. Save for significance. How do we do those things? Man, financial peace walks through all the ways to deal with all these kind of things. For some of you are like, I have never even seen a budget. They give you a budget. That's how this works. And so listen, who can help you grow? I think if you haven't done Financial Peace University, it's a no-brainer for me how effective this thing is. And on all of our campuses, we've got classes starting in the next two weeks. And so wherever you're at, you can jump into a class and be a part of this and start changing things in your life, okay? Now, let's come back to this for a second. Why is this so important for us? Like, why are we, why are we spending so much time talking about this? You see, the reason we aim to be wise in our finances is not just so we get a big pile of marshmallows, right? The, the girl who, or the guy who goes, I'm gonna live my life for a pile of marshmallows, That guy is Scrooge, right? That's who that guy is. 
Nobody likes that guy. Let's just be honest, okay? Well, I guess the end of the story is pretty great. But anyways, um, this is not the end goal right here. You want to know what's better than this? Having a pile of marshmallows, lighting a fire in your backyard, busting out some chocolate and graham crackers, inviting your friends and your family, and making s'mores. That's why we have a big pile of marshmallows, so that we can invite people into it and share it. In fact, here's your homework. For this week, I want you to have s'mores with some other people. That's your financial homework for this week. Some of you have a lot more homework than that, by the way. But every one of us, what we're going to do is we're going to make s'mores, and we're going to remember generosity is an investment. It's not a sacrifice. We work hard on the small things so that we can delight in the big things. That's why we do the simple things day to day to day so that when God opens the door for you to be generous, you can say yes every time. Because this is why Paul ends this passage away. Verse 15, here's what's happening. Paul's walking through all this stuff. He's saying like, no, you're seeing it wrong. You gotta do it this way. You gotta think about it this way. And then Paul finally gets to a place where he's just like, he explodes and he says, oh man, do you get it? Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. He gets to a point literally where his hand's trembling or whoever's writing is going like, I'm trying to keep up because he explodes in praise going, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. What is the gift? The ability to be generous. Think about that. The great gift is that you have been equipped by God to be generous in this generation, in this world that by your hands of generosity, people see God for who he really is. That's the most indescribable gift. And it is available. It is yours. It is possible. This is the why behind generosity. This is why I think generosity, it's, it's the pathway, it's the practice to living life of joy and significance. Here's what I want you to understand. The why behind generosity is getting to pursue the things on God's heart with freedom. We get to live for things much bigger than ourselves, unhindered. Man, think about the adventure of that. That's why we take generosity so seriously. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray that we become more generous. Here we go. Father, we're so thankful for your grace. The indescribable gift of being in partnership with you to be generous to our world. The fact that you open doors for us to walk with you, to see things the way that you see things and be able to respond to your, to the needs in our world in the way that you would because you equipped us to do those things. You've even prepared work in advance for us to do. And then you provided everything we need to do it. I pray that our eyes are opened to this opportunity to see generosity not as a sacrifice, but as an investment in your kingdom that brings us to life. Thank you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.